Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning, whether you're with us here in the room or we're together online. It is good to be together this morning, and I'm excited to begin this new series that we're starting this summer, moving through the New Testament book of Hebrews. And to get us started reading our passages for this morning are two of my favorite people, Tom and Carmen Mock. Come on up here, guys. Let me tell you a little bit about Tom and Carmen. Not only are they precious people, wonderful brother and sister in Jesus, Carmen, you were baptized into Christ at our church when you were just nine years old. And Tom, you just turned 89 yesterday, and you were baptized into Christ at our church at 10 years old. And here you are with us today. Oh, well, Carmen says, and he's much older than I am. He's much older than I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm going to let you guys read the passages of Scripture that we're going to be studying today. And thank you very much. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as his inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from his sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore the great salvation that was first announced by Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Thank you, Carmen, and thank you, Tom, very much. Thank you, guys. Love you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the powerful word that we've heard in this passage of Scripture. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher now as we open up your word. Lord, as we're gathered here this morning, we lift our prayers to you. We lift up um, people to you, people we know, people we care about, people maybe that we don't know and yet also care about, God. We pray that you would heal all our wounded and that you would comfort all our grieving. God, that you would give us all grace and that you would give us all peace and wisdom as well. Lord, we give these next few minutes to you. We ask that you'd be with us Please, please be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This New Testament letter to the Hebrews was written to Christians who were in danger of giving up. Anyone ever just felt like giving up? Yeah. The church had been around for just a little while now. The message is being spread. The initial flame had to be carried on. 
and not allowed to dim or to flicker out. Tough times and persecution. We're doing their work. We're bearing down. We're wearing people thin. It's t- it was time to be reminded to persevere. Why don't we all say that word out loud? Persevere. Persevere. We can relate today. Temptations wear us away. Trials wear us out. These folks needed to be reminded of this truth, and we do too. Nothing compares to Jesus and life in Him. Nothing and no one compares to Jesus and life in Him. This is the main point of the passages that the author of Hebrews lays out as the letter begins. Many things can try to compete, but they'll never really compare. Not really. Anyone or anything greater than Jesus, better, more compelling, more worthy of our allegiance, the writer of Hebrews says, no way, give me a break. And so we begin where Carmen started us this morning. It says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God has been working, always working, to get through to us. Anyone ever feel like God has a hard time getting through to you, right? This is his mission uh, uh, with all of us as humanity from the very beginning. God has been working to get through to us. He does it through the law that we read about in the Hebrew Scriptures. He does it through the prophets we're reading here. But now, Christ is the crescendo, the fulfillment of that message. Uh, The incarnation, God coming in the flesh as Jesus Christ. The incarnation is the period at the end of the sentence. All that God has been trying to say, he says fully and finally in Jesus. Now Jesus' return, that's the exclamation point. But that's for a different sermon. We can describe these days, as the writer of Hebrews does, as final days because God's final word The word from which all subsequent words will derive has been spoken in Jesus. So we live in the age of Jesus, the full expression of God to humanity, Jesus Christ. And so in that sense, we are in final days because we are in the final chapter of how God is revealing himself to human beings. He's now done it totally and completely and fully and clearly in Jesus. The one we call Jesus Christ is the king of everything, and God made perfectly accessible to us. Are you searching for God? Are you searching for truth? That's a good thing to do, by the way. Search for truth. Do that. And I'm here to tell you today, you can't do better than Jesus. Sure, he and his message seem pretty commonplace in our culture today, right? A Bible on every coffee table, a church on every corner, at least it might seem that way. Jesus and his message have been co-opted and contorted in all kinds of ways for all kinds of purposes, to get rich or to get votes, you name it. But Jesus himself and his message remains at the core the highest expression of truth, the truest representation of God's reality. That hasn't changed. It remains the case even today. And Jesus is worth your whole life. 
I'm here to make that as clear as I know how this morning. The writer of Hebrews does, and I want to let those words come out today and really throughout this series. Jesus is simply the best. Life in Him is beyond compare. It pales in comparison to any other life, to any other way of thinking, or any other way to order your priorities, any other way of behaving. Pales in comparison to life in Him. Study Him. Follow Him. Stay near Him. Lean on Him. Learn from Him. He is, as He said, the way to God. And He is God. We mustn't reduce him. We're prone to do that, any of us. You might be tempted to think or say or have heard someone else say, he was a wise teacher. He was a good and even great person or an inspiring leader. But what we've come to realize is that he is, not just was, is the Son of God, which is to say he is God. The passage goes on, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. Now, at this point, the writer of Hebrews has a vision of Jesus that transcends just that dusty rabbi who spent a few years teaching in Palestine. As important and pivotal as those those aspects of who Jesus is are and remain so, clearly this writer sees Jesus in a far more cosmic, broad, uh, uh, universal way of, of, of understanding the full scope of his meaning and power, what he's really all about. He describes Jesus at this cosmic level. When I read such descriptions of Jesus here and elsewhere in the scriptures, I can't help but think of like the superpowered heroes of the Marvel or DC universes, right? We, we, we create, we, uh, in our creativity as human beings, we create this whole uh, set uh, of heroes. We long for and love the idea of having such heroes. We always have, uh, all the way back to the mythology of the Greeks and the Romans, right? We've always created these, these superhuman, these heroes that we would love for to be true. We'd love for them to be uh, actual and real. We always have. What we've discovered as Christians is that there is one that is no myth, that it is not a mythology, that it's real. The story is true, that there is a true superpowered, and that's, a, that's an understatement to say the least, hero that has come to us. We think about how such heroes are portrayed, right? Usually someone's glowing, Someone and the, the, the powers will send them flying or transporting in ways that we, you and I, couldn't ever do. There's just something about them and the way that's portrayed that I can't help but think is not a bad representation of what we see here. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, that all our meager attempts to portray what a hero might be like are fully expressed in Jesus Christ. 
Think about this. True greatness doesn't need to tell you all that it's accomplished or can accomplish. In other words, Jesus is a different kind of hero. Maybe you know someone, maybe you've been that someone who knows, we probably all have at some point, who somehow feels the need to tell you all that they've done, all that they do, all that they're capable of doing. And, we, and then they, we, we might be tempted to think that's what greatness is all about. But Jesus turns this on its head. Jesus walked meekly among people. This was part of his true power. Children trusted him. Common people felt welcomed by him. Outcasts were accepted by him. Women were heard and respected by him. Men, <clears throat> pardon me, were often captured by his compelling character. The prideful mocked him. The rich rejected him. And still he went on humbly loving. And this this radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And in that same sense, we are called to do the same, and we actually get to in our patience and in our presence, in our sincerity and our sacrifice, in our kindness, our care, in the grace we extend, in the love of our embrace, we get to also reflect these characteristics of God that are antithetical to the so-called hero that we humans might manufacture. One might think that to reflect the glory of God or to express the character of the creator of the universe, one might need bolts of lightning, roars of thunder, right? A display that will just flatten all observers in utter awe. But Jesus brings a different kind of awe. Awe of his subtle wisdom and profound insight. All of the authority in his words and yet the gentleness and love that is behind him. Amazement that the God of the universe does know and love us. Each of us. Each and every one of us. Jesus, by being the Jesus that we think of, that gentle, wise, graceful, solid teacher, Jesus is the fullest and clearest expression of God. And he described himself this way too. I want to take a little aside here and let Jesus tell us a story for just a second. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable about some evil farmers. Let's talk about how can a farmer be evil? You're about to find out. Okay. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Evil farmers. But, but for real here, Jesus tells a story about a guy who plants a vineyard. Then he leases that vineyard to some tenant farmers. So the Master is now given control, given stewardship of this vineyard to these farmers. At the time of the grape harvest, Jesus says, he sends one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. The farmers grab that servant, Jesus says, beat him up, send him away empty-handed. Owner sends another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head, Jesus says. And then the next servant he sent was killed. Now Jesus is painting a picture here of God giving the kingdom to the Jewish nation, who then rejects the prophets that he continues to send. They drift, and he, the prophets come to call them back, and they persecute and even kill these prophets. This is the story that Jesus is telling, and he's telling it to a crowd, and always in that crowd, right, are some of the religious leaders who are sneering, and maybe their arms are a bit folded, they're not liking what Jesus is saying. That's exactly the scene that is set here. And then the story takes uh, as Jesus' stories do, goes up to another level. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left. 
his son, whom he loved dearly, Jesus says. The owner finally sent him. In other words, this is backing up what we're reading here in Hebrews, that the prophets have come, but now the final word is being expressed, the final revelation of who God is, is coming to the fore in the Son. Just as Jesus tells in this story. Surely, the owner says, they will respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir of this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, Jesus says, and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. Jesus then goes on to say that the owner of the vineyard is going to put that vineyard under the care of others and that those wicked farmers would be left behind. Now, Mark concludes by letting us know the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus. They realized he was telling the story against them, that they were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him for another time. Now, there's no guesswork to what Jesus is saying, and it illuminates what we're reading here in Hebrews chapter 1. There's no guesswork. The Son is the ultimate messenger of of the master, of the father. The vineyard is his kingdom, which no one who rejects the son can keep. And so it tells us we underestimate Jesus to our own loss and grief. He is the fullest expression of God. And we should accept him and all that he brings to us, not reject him. Passage goes on. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majesty, uh, majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. First, let's start where this part of the passage begins. When he had cleansed us from our sins. Now, this will be a recurring theme, and we'll go into it far more deeply in some upcoming sermons. But this uh, Son of God has reconciled us to God by way of his sacrificial death and powerful resurrection. This is the key that unlocks everything else. The love of God sent him to earth to die in our place and rise again, conquering death and changing everything. Now what's this talk about the Son being superior to angels? What's what's that all about. Now, some would say that perhaps there was a temptation at this time uh, that maybe it was the latest thing to worship angels. And that's come and gone throughout uh, human history. I can remember a time when I was younger where some of that you'd buy a lot of books about angels. There was a lot of talk about worshiping angels and and different things like that. And so so perhaps this was just kind of a false teaching, a distraction that was moving through the church. And the writer of Hebrews wants to help us realize that, no, 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 don't fall for that. There could have also been a twin temptation to reduce Jesus theologically to just another angel, as if perhaps his visitation to us was not unlike an angelic visitation, that he was divine, but not that much different than just any other angelic visit that maybe we've read about over the course of centuries. And the writer of Hebrews is making it super clear. Jesus is in his own category. He is the singular Son of God. Don't think that He can be an angel or that He's just another human being who had a lot of divine insight. No, 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 no. He is God Himself. And then He begins, uh, and if you have your Bibles or you go back and read this passage, which I, I would encourage you to do, 
He then spends some time quoting from the Hebrew Scriptures, mostly, uh, that's what we call our Old Testament, or mostly from the Psalms, making his point. He says, For which of the, To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? In Hebrews 1.6 we read, And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, Let all of God's angels worship him. To the Son, it goes on, it says, To the Son, he says, your throne endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and your years will never end. All of this is described, all this quoting from the Old Testament, describing the Son of God, the coming Son of God. All this to say, as we just read, the Son is far greater. Someone say far greater. Far greater. Rivals to his royalty today, for you and me, as we go through our day-to-day, week-to-week lives, there are probably not going to be angels or prophets or the Old Testament law. These are not the things that you and I are probably hung up on. Now, these were very pertinent points to the original readers of this letter. They were going to be very tempted to perhaps just put Jesus in that context and not understand how much he fulfills and now supersedes all that came before him. These are important theological points, but most of us as New Testament Christians today would agree with them pretty quickly. Oh yeah, we understand who Jesus is as the Son of God. We've developed that. The church has been around. We now understand that more fully and it's, it's a core to our teaching and understanding. But none of that means that rivals don't still exist to Jesus on the throne of our hearts. There's no shortage of such rivals. Whether it be finance or philosophy or science or success or politics or popularity or our image or on and on and on, there's a pantheon of human-centered half-gods that want to define our lives and lead us in every direction. All kinds of things that maybe in and of themselves are neither good nor bad, depending on how we handle them. But man, do they have the power to want to elbow off the throne of our lives, the Lord Jesus. Finance that wants to tell us that life is all about money and that my self-worth is determined by my net worth. Philosophy that wants to tell us that all the truth we ever need is already here. We just have to tap into it. Science, which can illuminate so much for us, but may want to then supersede and take the place of faith and say that the only truth that is ever going to be discovered or is worth pursuing is only found in what we can observe. Success that says that uh, the next promotion will give me the meaning and the fulfillment I need, or maybe it's going to be the power of politics or the popularity that I crave. That's what will give my life Meaning, I need people to tell me that they love or like me. All of these things are right there, vying for the throne of our lives in ways that will steer us in all kinds of directions. But what what we're reading here is that God has spoken. That's what it says. God has spoken. And how has he spoken? Incarnately, in the flesh, as an itinerant Jewish rabbi, who we're told had no money of his own. Nothing about his physical features that would attract people. And a teaching so far from complex that it could be reduced to one word, love. 
He transcended nature by His miracles. He redefined success as simply abiding in Him. He goes against the grain of all that our culture would want to elevate. He is our teacher. Go ahead and search for truth. I'd encourage you, again, whether you're with me here in the room right now or you're with us online, search hard for truth. Find, try to find it in every philosophy and religion. Go for it. That's all good. Searching for truth is always a good thing. I can say with complete confidence, turn over every rock, pursue every line of thought, and at the end of any of them that you'll find worthwhile, you'll see Jesus standing there. That him and his truth, all truth will lead back to him. And you will ultimately see that all, all the ways that we've attempted over the centuries and the millennia to try to define the life and what it's all about. There are a lot of ideas that you're just going to toss. Like, that doesn't work. But the ones that seem to make some sense, you start to collect those and you'll realize they all harmonize with things Jesus has already said. And they're all based in a love that can't be shaken. A love that can't be taken away. So pursue truth all you can. Spend your life and all your energy looking for truth. You'll find it most fully. The, 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 the best and greatest word that God has spoken, and he's not a liar, everything he says is true. The best and final word will be found in Jesus. So pursue truth and you'll keep running into Jesus. I guarantee it. Give your life to him. You'll want to at that point. Because you'll see just how good, how good he is. That's what I want for all of us. I want that for you because I love you. And I want that for you because I found it to be true myself. I've not run into anything that I would say is true that doesn't completely harmonize and perfectly isn't perfectly expressed in the gospel of Jesus. It's the greatest and final word that God has ever shared Jesus said that to see him is to see God. I believe that's true. Such claims got him killed, which was then actually the zenith of his work. It culminated in a resurrection that launched our new faith. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is don't forget what's first in your faith. Hold firm to it. Say in your prayers with, from your heart to Christ in a consistent basis in your actions and in your words. Nothing compares to you. Nothing and no one compares to you. This takes us to our second part of the passage. Now we're in just the beginning of chapter 2. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. What are we reading about here? First, let's, that first word, so or therefore, also a perfectly good way to translate that. What it's saying is, hey, if what we just said about Jesus is true, then so or therefore it is worth our full attention and devotion. We have to pay careful attention, we're being told, so that we don't drift away. And if there's one thing of everything that we've talked about so far or are about to say this morning, if there's one thing that I hope will stick with us today, it's the meaning behind this word, drift away. In the original language, this word would be used to describe a boat that had become untethered or unanchored and thus just begins, begins to slowly drift from shore. 
It would be described about a, uh, to, to, it would be used to describe a ring not really fitted to a finger and thus constantly slipping off. It would be used to describe water leaking from a faulty jar. Ever so slowly, the evidence of the leak just there. Can't quite discern it. Some hairline fracture, some, some perforation somewhere in the vessel. But you look and you see less water today than you saw yesterday. This kind of unanchoring, this kind of not fitting, this kind of leaking. Anyone here ever leak? What the pastor just say right there? I'm not. Yeah, I do. Right? That's why we come to be filled once again. Right? This is a word for us today because this is us today. Any, any one of us on any given day. It's easy to drift. Stay anchored. Stay tight. Stay solid. And listen. How do we do that? We listen carefully. We listen with our lives. We listen as if our lives depended on it. If God has spoken, how would we not listen, right? That's easy to say on a Sunday morning, right, with our Bibles open. If God has spoken, of course I'm going to listen, but we know that doesn't always happen, if we're honest. We all, got, we all have to admit that there's something in us that doesn't always want to listen, something that closes our ears. I can't help but think about how often Jesus said after he gave some kind of teaching. Let those who have ears, let them hear, right? Those who have ears, let them hear. Uh, you might remember saying something similar to your kids when they were growing up or maybe even right now as they are growing up. The fact is we have ears, but are we using them? And we're being told here, listen carefully, lest you drift away. Drifting is easy, and usually silent and unnoticed at first. I would liken it to falling asleep at the wheel, right? You've been up all night, you're trying to get home, and you're driving, and you fall asleep at the wheel. That usually ends in one of two ways, the near miss or the terrible crash. You might feel, as we sit here today, that you've been a little bit of a sleep at the wheel of your faith. There could be a near miss, there could be a crash, or there could be someone there to wake us up. And I guess right now, that's me. I'm here to say, wake up. Wake up. Come back to Christ. Don't leak any longer. Don't slip any longer. Don't drift any longer. Today, in an instant, you can wake up and be back, right back on that road with Him. The writer of Hebrews says, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? Again, if God has spoken, it stands to reason that whatever he has said is the most important thing ever uttered and must be the most essential thing we can hear. So let's stop. Let's make sure to stop and listen. We take a message like this lightly only to our own peril. Life has been offered and offered freely and generously. So it's ours for the receiving. This is great news. It's ours for the receiving or the rejecting. 
It wraps up by saying, and God confirmed this message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. In other words, this is a powerful message. It remains a powerful message today. God works in my life and in yours. And when I see change in my life, when you see change in my life, when I see change in your life, when we see it in each other's lives, that's power at work. And that power is no less diminished, not at all, between then and today. Those kinds of miracles and those signs and those gifts are flowing and happening in your life and in the lives of your brothers and sisters. As I wrap up this morning, when I was studying for this, I, I came across this statement in one of the, that one of the commentators made, and I really loved it. If you want to know God, look long at Jesus. I love that. If you want to know God, look long at Jesus. At Jesus. I want to spend my life looking long at Jesus. And I want that for you too. Nothing compares to Him, nothing compares to life in Him. So let's love Jesus. Let's love living for Jesus. Let's love learning from Jesus. That's why I so appreciate that we observe communion. Every Sunday, if you have a bread and cup that you might have picked up on your way in, I'd ask you to take it right now as we just draw our thoughts toward that direction. I love that we do this because it brings us to a place of intense focus on Jesus that no more than once every seven days, no matter how kind of scattered our minds have been or, or how much how full our schedules have been, there's this moment where we do know, even if you spaced off for most of the sermon, this moment right here brings us back to Him. And I want to, for just a second, go back to that parable that He told. Remember when the owner sent Him, and the owner was thinking, the owner sent his, sends his son and, and is thinking, surely they will respect my son. Surely they will respect my son. You hear that heart there. Man, I, I, this, is, this is it. This is, this is the final, the fullest expression of, of who I am and, and what I'm, I'm looking for here. Surely they'll respect the Son. And so as we gather each week, we respect the Son. We don't get everything right and we don't have all the answers. Not me, not you. Amen? But man, we want to give the Son His due respect. We share, we, it's ironic, we share in his inheritance. We actually get to do what the tenant farmers were aiming to do, keep it all to themselves. We share in his inheritance, not by rejecting him and trying to usurp it. We do it by receiving him in his love and enjoying it. We get to, if only they'd known that, that what that son was coming to bring, they wouldn't have killed him. They would have accepted him. And yet they did. The parable came true. The son was killed, murdered, as Jesus put it, and tossed outside the vineyard or outside the city. But we know there's more to the story. The son is alive. The son is risen. The son has conquered death. And that is what we celebrate. So let us take the bread this morning as Jesus asks us to. It represents his body broken for us. Let's remember him and respect him, the son. And as we take the cup, we also are doing as he asked, commemorating this new covenant, this new promise sealed in his blood. We take it with gratitude for who the Son is in all 
of God's glory. Let's take a drink together. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us today. Help us, Lord, to, to meditate on it, to, to, to turn it over in our minds and hearts this week. Just how great you are. That no, nothing and no one, Lord, compares to you. Help us to live out that truth, to appreciate that truth, to, to apply it to everything in our lives. Those rivals that for all of us want to kind of inch and elbow their way to the front seat of our lives, to, to take the wheel, to direct us. Help us to see, Lord, that they're not qualified. That, that they don't work. They're not, they're not worth it. That you, Lord, are the only one who is. We exalt you. We lift you up. We want to keep declaring, not only in our words, not only in our singing, not only in our gathering for worship, but in our living, that you are supreme. You're the ultimate, and you're our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.